Welcome to the Living Faith Fellowship Conference podcast. The Living Faith Fellowship is a peer network of like-minded churches united under a single biblical authority and one common mission. You're about to hear a message from one of the many conferences hosted by the Living Faith Fellowship every year. We pray it's a blessing. Welcome to the Living Faith Fellowship Conference podcast. The Living Faith Fellowship is a peer network of like-minded churches united under a single biblical authority and one common mission. You're about to hear a message from one of the many conferences hosted by the Living Faith Fellowship every year. We pray it's a blessing. You know, uh, Proverbs 25:11. it says, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in pictures of silver, uh, which means quite evidently that there are also words, when you think about a word fitly spoken, that it means that there are words that are not fitly spoken, right? That there are words that, that don't fit. There are words that, that, that don't fit and they will have no profit and they will appear out of place. A word fitly spoken, wow, that's just this beautiful picture. And man, and apples of gold on pictures of silver, oh, it's great. But that also means that there's words that are of no profit. Proverbs 25, 25, same chapter, it says, as cold waters to a thirsty soul, so is good news from a far country. And so it proves to reason that cold waters in a blizzard are probably not satisfying. Isaiah 54, 50 verse 4, the Lord God hath given me the tongue of the learned that I should know how to speak a word. How, how to speak a word? How, how should I do that? In season to him that is weary. This verse makes me think of Job's friends. Those guys, man, they were spitting knowledge all over the place. If you read the book of Job, I mean, it's just, wow, what? Where did they get this knowledge and just the intellect and the spiritual fortitude and, and, and so much prophecy and, 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 and the, the depths of wisdom are beyond things that I can fully fathom. Man, it was just a knowledge fest, right? And yet none of their statements had any direct benefit to Job's situation. So often Christians have great amounts of insight into the word of God, but little of it has lasting effect on the weary soul. So often we, we know so many things and we, we have so many ideas and, and formulations of what the word of God says and, and it's great and, it, and, it, and it's beautiful and it's insightful, yet it has little to no lasting effect on the one who's weary, the one who's hurting, the one who's in pain. Ecclesiastes 12, 10, it says, the preacher sought to find out acceptable words. And that which was written was upright, even words of truth. The preacher, he says, I, I, I was seeking words that were acceptable. They were acceptable words, and that which was written, it was upright, even words of truth. I think we too often as believers are focusing on the wrong things. We crave knowledge instead of virtue. We long to be wise when God simply desires our obedience. John 1, then said they unto him, who art thou? 
that we may give an answer to them that sent us. What sayest thou of thyself? These people were coming up in the book of John and they were saying, who, who are you? We, we want to give an answer to the people who sent us, but we need to know, who are you? They had this very important question. 1 Peter 3, 15, it says, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. You see, I think of John 1, and I think of 1 Peter 3, 15, and what it tells me and what I believe with, with every bit of my being is that the lost world is still asking questions. And I want you to know that in a world where it seems as if the lost world is, is rejecting the message of the gospel and the person of Jesus Christ at an alarming rate, I believe fully that the lost world is asking questions. I do believe that. But when they ask of the hope that lies within you, according to 1 Peter 3.15, when they ask of that hope, what is the hope that lies within you? We respond by answering a question they're not asking. When we, when we choose to answer the questions of their, of their heart, of their mind, uh, of their life, when we choose to answer that question, we, we come back with an answer that actually they say, well, I, I, I didn't ask that question. I wasn't, I, I, didn't, I wasn't asking that question. People want to know why you're a Christian, not who Melchizedek is. People want to know why Jesus, not whether or not Adam and Eve ate an apple or a grape. And believe me, that stuff is fascinating, and I mean that sincerely, but it's not leading people to an answer. It's not leading people to the answer. You see, the issue is not that the lost world has a lack of interest in the spiritual. Did you hear me? Yeah. It's not that the lost world has a lack of interest in the spiritual. The lost world is more spiritually minded now than they have been since the age of the Enlightenment. We are dealing with a more spiritual world than we have been dealing with over the last 200 years. The issue, and I would say maybe just one of the issues, and it's probably not the only issue, but the issue is that we are not listening. We're not listening to people. And secondly, that we're just lazy. Yes, we are giving the gospel, and maybe that's a, a stronger statement that I should assume. But yes, I'm going to assume that we are giving the gospel. But we're doing so in a way that does not reveal to lost man why he is actually lost. When we, when we approach the gospel and when we approach the lost, we are not revealing to this individual why, why he or she is actually lost. We say, you need to get saved. And he says, I'm not lost. We say, you need to accept Jesus as your savior. And he says, I don't need to be rescued. And then after this very small and enlightening dialogue, right, what we assume is, well, I guess he didn't want it. I guess, I guess this person just wasn't interested in, in hearing the gospel. Listen, he doesn't even know what he doesn't want. He doesn't even know what he doesn't have. 
He doesn't know. She doesn't know. Our gospel witness becomes inept, not because of knowledge, but because we are not considering the questions people are asking. It's not because of knowledge. It's not because of intellect. It's not because you go to this church or that church. It's because we're not listening or considering the true questions that people are asking. And secondly, we are not showing the world a contextualized gospel. I'm not trying to be fancy with these words or anything like that, but I want you to hear me. One of the reasons why the lost is not receiving your witness is because your witness, the gospel that you're preaching, the gospel that you are sharing with the lost, does not provide context. It is not a contextualized gospel. As we know in Bible study, and many of us have maybe gone through a discipleship two process, or maybe you already began reading Mark's book on the keys of Bible study, or maybe... uh, you, you read books on how to study the Bible and you've looked at the principles of Bible study. As we understand in our personal Bible study, context is key. Context is key. We have to have context. If we keep giving a thirsty soul a powdered donut, don't be surprised when they seem disinterested. No, thank you, I'm full. I don't want it anymore. I don't want it anymore. When you keep giving someone who's like, can I just have a glass of water? Here's another powdered donut. (laughs) No, thank you. (laughs) It doesn't make sense. And listen, listen. It's not that a powdered donut is not appealing. I mean, come on now, right? It's not that a powdered donut is not appealing. I actually don't like donuts that much, to be honest. Hang with me, though. It's not that a powdered donut's not appealing, it's just that it's not answering the right question. It's not answering the right question. So then how does the gospel become cold waters to a thirsty soul? How do we effectively see where the gospel becomes this refreshing drink? Where when you approach someone who doesn't know Christ, when, the, when, when you begin approaching this conversation and, and they come up to you, they realize, oh, that tasted good. I didn't know I needed that, but wow, that was good. How can we begin that process with someone? The answer is one word, and it's context. Context. I believe it is our responsibility to provide a contextually sound gospel to the lost world. Not just giving the gospel, but declaring the why of the gospel. It's not just that I'm declaring the gospel and and how we can do that in our 30-second spiel, Right? But I'm declaring the why of the gospel. So then today I'd like to introduce both a, a two-part study. I believe, number one, it is evangelical. I believe the Creation to Christ series is evangelical in nature. But it's not only that. I also believe it is equipping in nature. I believe that the Creation to Christ series, because sometimes people go, well, 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 well then... I can only do this with the lost. No, you cannot. You can do this with the body of Christ. And what this does is, yes, it is evangelistic, but it also is equipping so that then we can do what? Do it again and do it again. And we can keep employing many of the strategies that Brandon was talking about yesterday. So it is evangelical and equipping. Creation to Christ, I didn't come up with this. Lord knows I'm not that guy 
was first developed a few years back in association with the Discovery Bible Method. This is not something that we made up. This is actually something that's been uh, uh, connected. Creation to Christ and Discovery Bible Method have been connected uh, since, since its inception. Creation to Christ was intended to engage people groups that were unreached or unengaged or post-Christian in nation. Uh, I'm sorry, in nature. Post-Christian nations are, I, many of you guys are probably already assuming what I'm going to say, nations that at one time carried with it a Christian context to its culture and over the years have rejected that. Maybe they, they, they had over centuries a Judeo-Christian moral view and that is now departing over and over or more and more. So that was where the Creation to Christ series uh, began. In some instances, the Creation to Christ story was told in a picture format. And I believe that you guys got some handouts today. One of those uh, was showing just some pictures of that. Uh, in some cultures where uh, literacy is lacking, actually uh, the missionary, the evangelist, will even use this that, that photo, not in black and white, but in full color, and they'll, they'll bring these large posters, and they will explain not just the gospel, but from creation, who God is, all the way to the cross, and they will do it through imagery, right? And so I, I gave you that, and I gave you just a few different, I think, Briscoe, you were printing all this up, so I gave you just a few different um, ways that you can follow uh, the creation of Christ Series And so that's just for you. Hopefully that's beneficial. Uh, this Bible study is, it's really simple in nature. If you, you know, you can thumb through a lot of that right now. It's simple in nature. It is essentially a series of passages from the book of Genesis to the gospel. And the primary goal is this, and this is our first point. The primary goal is to deliver the complete story of the gospel to the lost you didn't know it, but you are full gospel now. We are all a bunch of full gospel believers. We want to deliver the complete story of the gospel to the lost. In that, it seeks to provide a contextual framework for the gospel. Thus, it is answering two questions. Notice that what I... This is a simple message, which is why I'm the one giving it, right? This is not difficult. What is the gospel is the first question. It is, the Creation to Christ series is simply asking one question. It's asking what is the gospel, but then more importantly, why the gospel? What is the gospel and why the gospel? So that people are being brought closer to truly understanding the gospel. Now notice on that, I put we are hoping for all people uh, I'm sorry, not there yet. Hold on, rewind. <laughs> what I'm saying though, I thought I had it up there. What I'm saying is that our desire in the Creation to Christ series is that people lost or saved will be brought closer to truly understanding the gospel. Did you guys catch that? I believe that many people who have confessed Christ and actually truly know him are believers they, they, they love the Lord. They desire to share the gospel with others. 
don't know how to fully give the gospel. They don't understand the full grasp of what it is. And so the Creation to Christ series, yes, it's evangelical, but it's also for people in your church to realize, wow, I've been missing some, vi- I've been missing some details. I've been missing some information that would be very valuable for my witness to my brother, my sister, my, my friend, my, my dad, my uncle, whoever that may be. And so this can be a beneficial study for all people lost and saved. For those who claim to be followers of Christ, the creation of Christ, creation to Christ study equips us to more fully uh, know God's redemption story for man. The Creation of Christ series is a story of God's redemption, that God wants to redeem you, that he wants to redeem me from my sin and be reconciled back to him. But for others, maybe, maybe people that grew up religious, maybe they didn't, possibly they've gone to church their whole life, but have never made the personal decision to accept Christ as their savior, For this individual, my prayer is that they will come to know him as their personal redeemer. That individuals will will once and for all realize that this story from creation, God's creation, all the way to the cross, all the way to the person of Jesus Christ, suffering and dying and rising again, that that individual can say, oh my God, you've done all of this to redeem me. You've done all of this to purchase me. All of this, the whole story was to bring me back to you. That, that's, what you that's what we're wanting to accomplish. And so here is one of the main points of the Creation of Christ study, that at some point, all people will be confronted with the fact that we are sinners separated from God, in need of his reconciliation, in need of his redemption. This is it. This is it. This is what we're trying to accomplish. As we are opening this study, as we're going through these passages, we are trying to bring, and I'm telling you, oh, every, every one of us, lost and saved, for the saved person who's forgotten, oh God, before I met you, I was a sinner. I was separated from you. And God, this was the story all along, is that you want to have a a relationship with me. Notice how that affects my life as a Christian. No longer am I just looking at salvation as a date on on my calendar of something that happened two years, five years, ten years ago. Now my whole life is a life of God's salvation working through me. And now as I continue studying the word, I, I realize day in, day out, God, you've redeemed me. God, I'm redeemed. You've purchased me with your blood. And so now the context of the gospel is not just based upon a decision and I'm in. Right? It's based upon a fact of, oh God, you've done this great work in me. And it's not just for that date of salvation and I'm, now I'm in heaven. But it's so that, God, you would show me how to, how to show that same story to someone else. Isaiah 59, 1 and 2, it says... Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither is his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. Too often, Christians speak of being saved or being born again, but we fail to communicate what that even means. Well, I accepted Christ as my Savior. And to that I say, what does that even mean? 
Maybe you think, well, you're, you're trying to be difficult or, or coy with your words. No, I really mean that question. I accepted Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior. To that, I want to ask you, what does that mean? What, do, what does that statement mean to you? One of the primary motivations of this series is to not only lead people, all of us, I think I've already kind of given evidence of my, of my scope where I believe the Creation of Christ series can be beneficial for the lost and saved. One of the primary motivations of this series is not only to lead all of us closer to Christ, but to show first and foremost that we are lost without him. This is key point number one. To be saved, we must first realize we're lost. And I know, I know, it's not a difficult point. It's not complex. I don't think anyone has been wowed by what I just said. But we have to consider that as we're speaking the gospel to others. And we have to consider that in regards to our own life as well. To be saved, you need to realize that you are lost. And if we're going to communicate the gospel to the people in our lives, we have to get people to this place to where they realize that I am lost without my creator, that I am lost without my God. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is our second point. Without sin, there is no need for a savior. Without sin, there is no need for a savior. You need to get saved. Saved from what? I don't need to be rescued. Yes, you do, because you are a sinner that separates you from a loving God, but he is also a just God and a righteous God. You see, without man's falling away, there is no need for God's work of redemption and reconciliation through Christ. Did you guys catch that? If we have not fallen away, and if people are not aware of that falling away. We all know that, but the world needs to know that. Hey, Dan, I'm good. I'm glad that works for you. Sounds like that's actually been beneficial for your life. It's giving you a good cause. No, no, it's not like that. <laughs> this is not my spiritual crutch. What we are trying to show to our, our friends, our brothers, our sisters, our coworkers, our peers, other classmates, students, what we are trying to show all of them is, listen, you have fallen away from God. And I'm not the one preaching that. As we study through the scriptures, what they will see, many times in a discovery Bible method, is that they come to this conclusion. And as we ask questions, now, if you missed this yesterday, this is one of the most profound statements that he made. If you want to be a good facilitator, that you already know the answer. You're reverse engineering the question you're trying to get questions that are going to go to the answer that, you're, that you've already prepared. Did you guys catch that yesterday? That was good. Okay, so what we need to consider then is that when I am sharing this, I'm not sharing my own intellect. We're walking through the Bible and then they are coming to the conclusion, so I'm separated from God. So I'm, I've fallen away from him. Yeah, yeah, you have. And so have I. 
without his son Jesus. So when you ask someone if they want to give their life to Christ and be saved, to be clear, most people have no way to grasp the severity of a question like that. To us, it's just a common term. It's, it's, in, our, it's in our Christian vernacular. But when we consider this more and more, we have to consider that, that most people, let's be honest, most people cannot grasp the severity of a question of that magnitude, and so they need you to lead them to that point. In the same way that even right now, for my five-year-old daughter, I have to still show her what words mean, what things mean, uh, what ideas, what the end result of an idea is. Just, just yesterday, my wife and I, we were talking, and, and my, my little daughter, Ruby, she was saying, she was saying, uh, she wanted to understand the word ashamed. And so we were, trying, we were talking about being ashamed. And then she was also saying something else. And we said, well, actually, that just means being sad. Well, we know, what, we know the differences between what being ashamed means and what being sad is. But a five-year-old doesn't. And so, man, what a joy being a parent to, to see how the lights are kind of turning on for my little girl. And, and, you know, and she's learning things. And it's just really exciting and fun. And yet we view the lost world as if they've studied the Bible their whole life like you. And guys, that's just, that's problematic. That's problematic. For the lost, they didn't grow up reading the Bible. And we can't assume that they know the stories. In fact, what creation to Christ presupposes is that they don't know the stories. What I'm assuming going into this is that I assume that you don't know. One of, the, one of the conversations that, that my wife and I have, have had in years past, and, and forgive me if I've done this to you, but, but I always, and, and again, I, I do, forgive me if I've, if I've been condescending, I always assume when I'm explaining something of the word of God, I try to assume that, hey, this person might not know this. I just try to assume that. I, I'm, and I'm going to go as base text as we can get. And I'm going to just, I'm not going to, you know, fly high. I'm going to say, hey, let's, let's see what this looks like from here. And you know what's funny? The more I do that, the more I realize that's a beneficial method. You know, and some people are like, oh, man, that was really basic, you know, and, and, and people are nervous. Wow, was that too, too light? And you know what happens? Over and over again, people come up to me and say, man, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Now, here, listen, I'm not talking about myself. What I'm talking about is, is we need to do that. We need to realize, maybe this person doesn't fully understand what I think they might understand. And, and so what I'm going to do is I'm going to assume that, that they don't know. And I'm going to assume that the lost world doesn't know what I'm talking about. I'm going to even assume that in the church that they might know, not know what I'm talking about. And then when they go, hey, Dan, we got it. Okay, well, let's move on. Let's, let's move on then. So let's cut to the chase. Creation to Christ, it doesn't begin with the cross. It doesn't begin with John 3.16. Romans wrote, although very powerful, incredibly powerful, it comes a little later. It doesn't just begin with the fact that Christ died for you. It begins with the fact that there is one true God. We begin with the fact that there is one true God. You see, before you assume they want to honor God, you're wanting to reveal to them that he exists. You got to reveal to them that he actually exists. 
So let's start here. Do they even believe in God? Secondly, the passages that make up the creation to Christ study demonstrate fully not only that there is a God, but that he is the creator of man and of all creation. I want you to know, whoever you are, that there is a God and you are accountable to him. Secondly, he made you and he made everything that you see right now. This is the God I want to speak to you about. But then we know, because many of us have studied the scriptures, that a horrible thing happened in Genesis chapter 3. Man fell away from God. In this moment, man lost his innocence before God and inherited a sinful nature. And so ever since Adam's fall, we have all been born sinners. I'm not a sinner because I sin. I sin because I'm a sinner. You need to know this from the, time, from the beginning of time. Even before the beginning of time, God's plan of redemption was found in Christ. Acts 15, 18, it says, Known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world. So God is not crafting a plan. He is not crafting his plan as he goes along. He has known it from the very beginning. This is what we're trying to get at with teaching a Bible study in this format. We want to walk a person through significant parts of the Old Testament so they can fully see the relevance of God's redemption story, which culminates with Christ. What we're wanting to do is fully unwrap. It's the, it's the redemption story of God, not that it was being crafted, it was crafted before time itself, right? But it's unfolding. And what I want to do is I want to help them unwrap the present. I want to help them unfold this redemption story to where when they get to the end and they open it up, they go, Jesus, it was him all along. It was always Jesus. I thought you were taking me there. I thought so. And all these passages in the Old Testament that were leading me and they were showing me there's a God and there's a God who created you that you, we are accountable to. And you told us stories and, and we read together of stories of, of even in Leviticus that spoke of a blood sacrifice. And man, that's weird and I can't really get my head around that, but, but I'm beginning to understand uh, what, 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 what happened to the blood. And as I go through this, and then I, I read in Isaiah, and there's a story of, of this prophecy. And, and as I study with you, and I learn, now this prophecy was 700 years before Christ came. And I start to realize it was always Jesus, wasn't it? It was always him. What we're doing is we're fully unwrapping. We're, we're fully revealing the redemption story of God so that when they finally get there, they go, I know the answer. You don't have to tell me the answer because I know it. You've, you've led me this way. You've facilitated this, this study, this, this discussion. Oh, can I tell you? I, I, think I, know, I, I think I know what's happening next. Oh, really? What would that be? You've been telling me about Jesus this whole time. Yeah, I have. Yeah. So it culminates with Christ. You see, Christ dying on the cross was not plan B. It wasn't plan B. Ephesians 3, 1 through 3 and then 5 through 6, it says, For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, if ye have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me to you, word, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, 
which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. And we understand the doctrinal implications of a passage like this, but what I'm saying is that there is something that was hidden that has now been revealed. And would to God that he would use us to do the same. Would to God that he would use us, just like our example Paul, to actually reveal and, 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 and manifest the story of God's grace to the Gentile nations. Ephesians chapter 3, 9, it says, And to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ. There is a story and plan of redemption and God has slowly been telling it to us for millennia. There is a story, there is a plan of God's redemption, and he has been slowly telling it, not crafting it, telling the story that was already written before time began. And what's interesting is as many stories begin, how do many stories begin? In the beginning. And so if God's story starts this way, in the beginning, then how should your story Hey, let me tell you, in the beginning, who? God. The Bible presupposes with its fourth word that God exists. In the beginning. So if this is the case, if the case is that the Bible begins this way, and if most stories begin with in the beginning, if this is the case, then why wouldn't you tell yours that way as well? Why wouldn't you tell yours that way? Why do you jump to like chapter 24, right? Uh, book 40. There's 66 books and we jump to book 40. And for most, uh, here, nine years ago, probably about nine years ago, the college and young adult ministry was upstairs. Now, now that's like, there's two floors up there and it's really polished and everything. We were in, it was like, man, it was a hole, <laughs> okay? Exposed brick and pipes and hanging lights you know, that just like floated, you know. Uh, we, had a, we had a fan that like spun and, and you know, the light was above it and so it was like a strobe. You know, like, so uh, praise the Lord. We had a projector and I don't know why, maybe because the AC unit was right above and, you know, this is the projector always, you know. So praise the Lord, we've, we've, we've grown, right? Well, I invited this, this girl from, from, uh, the Art Institute, one of my students, and, and she came, and, and, I'm, and I'm teaching, and I'm showing this verse, and that verse, and this verse, and I'm putting it all together. Why? Because I'm, I'm comparing spiritual with spiritual. We know that. And she looks, and she's not a believer, and, and she, comes, she goes, I see what you did. I see what you did. To, to, to her, it was just I was being some kind of like, you know, mad scientist putting all this together. She had no clue why I was doing that. She had no clue. I see what you did. You see, I, I started from the, from, the, from the middle and I was just like doing all these things and I'm showing her all, and most of all the Christians, what are they doing? <laughs> but when a, when a person who, who was lost came in, they're like, I see, that's, that's clever. You're trying to make your point. That's what she was thinking. You're trying to make your point, and you're using the scriptures. Now, now what, what we were thinking is like, I'm comparing spiritual with spiritual, you know? 
But see, for a person who's lost, they, they, can't, they can't grasp that. And it just looked like I was jumping in the middle and I was doing all these things and gyrations and you know, making these points and yelling sometimes and whispering other times. You know, I'm doing all, and I remember that. I was like, wow, what's just common knowledge to me was, was some type of weird way of trying to speak about the scriptures. Does that make sense? So if the story of God's redemption begins in the beginning, I would think that it would be beneficial for us to do the same. So simply put, Christ dying on the cross was not some last-minute Hail Mary. It was a well-orchestrated plan. Warren Wearsby, he said, the sacrificial death of his son was not an accident, it was an appointment. So let's backtrack a little, if you will. Let me ask you a question. Why did God make man? And, and if you will, I'm not just trying to give you a good message this morning. I'm not trying to just, I don't know, impress you if that's even possible. Uh, I'm trying to give you context for even what the Creation of Christ series is in a message. So why did God make man? Let's turn to Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. What's, what must not be lost is that a decision of this magnitude carries with it a great deal of significance. Before we go any further, we must ask one simple question, why? Why, why did God create the heavens and heaven and the earth? Was God just arbitrarily creating a universe or was there a reason? You see, we gotta ask these questions. Why is there a Genesis 1-1? Why does it even matter? We just assume, oh, we go with it, and we're like, yeah, that makes sense, cool, let's keep going. Why? Because the lost world are asking those questions. Why? Couldn't God just do whatever he wants because he's God? Well, the answer to that is obviously yes. But when one considers the full character of God as manifest in the scriptures, you will see that God doesn't do anything arbitrarily. But in reality, everything God does has a purpose, and this is key point number two. Our creation comes with great purpose and significance. Maybe I should say not our, but your. Your creation comes with great purpose and significance. We were not created on a whim. We were not created on a whim, but rather man was created to bring glory and honor and praise to God. This was not an arbitrary decision on God's part. Your creation comes with great purpose and significance. The world is looking right now for purpose in their lives and prescription medication and, and, and suicide and depression and anxiety and all of these things where the world is just trying to mask it. They're just trying to put all these things over it, which in the end only provides more bondage, by the way, and we keep putting layers upon layers of bondage, which is trying to set us free. Only problem is, is I'm hooked to this chain that's holding me back. And what the world is looking for, what they're desperately desiring is, I just wish I could know why I'm here. And the thing is, is we try to jump in with Jesus Christ died for you and praise the Lord if that works. And I'm not saying don't do that, but I'm telling you this if we're not going back and answering the question as to why do I exist, 
What's the purpose of me even being here? And we're probably missing a few things. Our creation, the reason for God even saying Genesis 1-1 was going to take place, that it matters. Our creation comes with great purpose and significance. Let's create some context. Revelation 12, 3 and 4, it, it records, And there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon. Who's this? Satan. Satan. A great red dragon, Satan, having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his head, and his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth. What is the third part of the stars of heaven? Who are the stars of heaven? The angels, right? And so at, at Lucifer's fall, what does he do? He takes with him a third part of the angels, and it says, and did cast them to the earth. In the Gospels, we see Christ speaking with his disciples in Luke 10, 18. And he said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. That would have been cool to see. <laughs> that would have been cool. Isaiah 14, 12 through 15, it retells the story of Satan's fall and of his prophetic demise. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high, yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. Pastors, over and over again, they'll, they'll talk about the I wills and, and how Satan was, was, was inflating his, his person, his, uh, his place, who he was. I get that. I'm not trying to get into the details of that. But what we see is in these passages, we see that God's rejection of his anointed cherub is clearly a past tense occasion. Lucifer's sole purpose in heaven was to praise God and reflect God's great image throughout heaven. All glory, praise, and honor were to go through Lucifer to God. They were to go through him. He was this anointed cherub. And as God's glory, his light shone through Lucifer, all of heaven cascaded with God's beauty. The problem is, as we know, the end of this story is that over time, as Lucifer was looking through this great myriad of colors and the expanse of God's wonder, Lucifer start, started thinking, wow, I'm beautiful. Look at me. Man, look at this. Not knowing that if the lights went out, he would be just a dark gem with nothing at all. He was heaven's great worship leader. But as Lucifer fell, and with him, Revelation 12, a third of the angels, a great chasm of worship was felt. Enter stage right, creation of man. As Lucifer falls, the creation of man takes hold. Guess why? Guess for what purpose? I just gave it away. Because <laughs> there was a purpose and a missing uh, portion of worship in heaven. You see, it's not just like that God was going, well, it'd be kind of neat to make man. You see, and this is why people that don't know how to rightly divide the scriptures and they don't know where to place Lucifer's fall, they miss that. They place Lucifer's fall further back and then what do they do? They miss 
the whole purpose for man's existence. That there was a reason for why God made man. That there's a purpose for your existence. To effectively give the full nature of the gospel, it is incredibly important to begin with creation. Otherwise, the character of God, the purpose of God, the fall of man, and the hope of man's redemption doesn't make sense. It just doesn't make sense. It's like opening a book in the, bit, in the middle and hoping that everything makes sense. It's like walking into a movie midway through and trying to put all the pieces together. So then the goal of looking through these passages is to be able to walk someone from God's creation all the way to their need for Christ as their redeemer. And the desire of my heart is that as you study this out on your own, as you go through these passages on your own, maybe in a group setting, uh, maybe one-on-one with another person, that you would be able to walk someone through the creation to Christ study in five minutes, in one hour, in one week, in a month, in a year, in two years, or whatever it takes. This is a process that leads people to becoming followers and disciples of Christ. This study is not about getting someone in heaven. You guys hearing me? This study is not about, it's not about getting someone in heaven. This study is to reveal to people that God wants to be reconciled to man. In fact, he's desired it since the foundation of his creation. So it's not just trying to get people in heaven. What it's trying to accomplish is to make followers and disciples of a God that they know. So let's close with this. So many people want to know why they exist. So many people, in fact, in their lives because they believe the lie that they have no purpose and that life doesn't matter. I want to tell you that your life does matter. You absolutely matter to God. If you want to know why you exist, I'll tell you right now, you and I were were created for two main purposes, to replenish and expand God's kingdom and to replenish and expand the worship that was lost when Satan fell. You were made to glorify God. This is why we exist, not just for the church, but for all humanity. This is the purpose of the gospel. It's not just John 3, 16. It's that in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And we understand the story of Lucifer's fall. And then what happens? Boom. Here comes man. Why? For his pleasure. And I understand that that's biblical. I get that. But this is where all of our Calvinists come up and, and because they don't have a proper understanding of where man was created. Oh, we were just created for his pleasure. We were created with a purpose to give him worship and glory and honor because there was a chasm of worship that was left. We were not just created with a whim. We were made to glorify God. Now, before even considering the creation of Christ passages, you have the, the handouts with you. I'd like to go through what what I believe are landmark steps for a person to become a believer. And I think I have them listed up here. There's eight different landmarks for a person understanding the gospel. 
And, and if I'm going through the creation to Christ st- study and, and story uh, with the lost, maybe it's one-on-one in a small group setting. Maybe, maybe many people are saved and it's, and it's a mixed crowd. Praise the Lord for that. Um, maybe it's in a d- different context altogether. I am trying, though, I am trying to get people to these eight different categories. I want them to have a, a clear understanding of all of these things. First being what? That there is a God. There is a God. Number two, that he created us and this universe. Number three, but we fell. And we are now separated from God's love. Four, I want to talk about the law. And not the law of like, well, man, we can't do it. Oh, shucks. No, I want to talk about the law to say this is the reflection of God's character. Man, guys, the law gets such a bad rap because we, we know what should get a bad rap is your flesh. I hate it how we preach the law. The law was so bad. The law, was, the law is the character of God. It's his holy character. I mean, it's who he is. I'm, I'm the dirt bag. I'm the guy who can't fulfill it. And this is why we needed Christ to fulfill it. But so the, the law, the law is gorgeous. It's wonderful. It's beautiful. It's the picture of God. It's his holy character in our lives. But I want to show that because I want to say, and then God made a law. And this law reflected who he was to his people. But man, you know what? You know what we, we, we saw as we study the Bible, as we, as we look at the law, what we realize, and then what the person realizes is that, bro, I can't do that. <laughs> and I go, me neither. <laughs> me neither. Because he's holy. Because God is holy. The God who created you, the God who created this universe, uh, the God who didn't destroy you after man's fall, he, and he provided a law. Oh, man, he's great, isn't he? Man, he's beyond me. Yeah, I know. Me too. Number five, there's a failure of the law. Man's inability to live up to God's perfect character. This is where we're starting to cook. This is where we're starting to cook. And then after we get to this part where it's like, I can't do it, you can't do it. I know, I know, we can't. But here's the deal. There's an answer, and it's Christ. Christ, who is the fulfiller of the law. Do you guys see how this is all coming together? It's not just like, and now, guys, let's talk about the law. Interesting. Let's talk about Moses and all these things. Wow, that's interesting. Oh, and now let's go to Christ. These are not separate topics. These are not separate topics. These are interrelated, and they are bringing us to a place of redemption. The whole story of the Bible is not just like, well, that's a cool thing. I might, I might tweet that. Right? Or that's an interesting thing. I might share that someday. Everything about the Bible is speaking of a kingdom. And there's this battle. There's this chess match. Everything about the Bible. And it is bringing us to a place where we see Christ the King ruling on his throne. And so it's not like, well, the law, let's talk about that for a little bit. I don't know why. Let's just do that. Oh, yeah, and you can't do it me either. Now, do you want to accept Jesus? What we're looking at is the fulfillment of the law through Jesus Christ, God himself. And then we go to the cross. Christ dies in our place. There's no other way for man to be redeemed. And number eight, new beginnings, the resurrection. Christ, because he never sinned by the power of God, rose again, defeating death. So lastly, I'd like to say this. If you believe God is specifically calling you to be a missionary, then know this. People don't know the gospel. People don't know the gospel. 
do not assume they do. They don't know who Jesus is and they don't know John 3.16. I have been a professor for the last 10 years and over those 10 years I have realized a shift, one might even call it a decline, in an awareness of the scriptures and an awareness of who Jesus Christ is. And I'm telling you, it is, it's becoming more and more apparent. They don't know who he is. And they absolutely don't know what the Bible says. As Brandon was saying yesterday, the Bible can be mocked and be ridiculed, but the moment it's opened, it must be considered. So when you begin telling the story of a person they've never heard of, when you begin telling a story of Jesus, I want you to put your trust in Jesus. When you begin telling a story of a person they've never heard of, don't be surprised. Then when you say, uh, okay, here's, here's what we do. Here, I want to tell you about Jesus, and I want to tell you something. He can live in your heart. And, oh, and by the way, he can live in your heart, and he wants to be your husband. <laughs> and that he'll be all those things if you accept him to save you from your sin. Okay, he wants to live in my heart. He wants to be my husband. And then, oh, by the way, I live in him, too. So he lives in me, but I'm hid in him, and he wants to be my husband. They're going to have some questions. But we do this, don't we? Oh, and by the way, you will go to hell if you don't accept it. (laughs) So there's that as well. Let me keep going. If you just randomly point to different passages in a book that they've never heard of, but treat it like it's commonplace, like the example I gave of, of myself, and then just go into it using verses and chapters to support what they believe is your case, know that you might not be effective. Know that you might not be effective. Now turn to Romans and turn to Ephesians and turn to Revelation and turn to here and turn there. And, and now what do you think? Yeah. And they're expecting you to pull out a vacuum next and, you know, like show them like, see, this cleans up the dirt way better than your vacuum. And it's like, <laughs> like you're, they're trying to sell, trying to sell them something. Guys, this is how the Bible sounds to a person without context. For a non-Christian nation, this is what the gospel sounds like without the context of the word of God. The creation of Christ to Christ series helps to put things in proper context. And now you're like, so how do I do it? You study the Bible. You just, you just get into the book. You employ the Discovery Bible Method techniques. If, if that's not the only way. But I'll tell you, that's a great way of doing creation to Christ. That's what it was intended to do in the first place. And guys, I'm just telling you what. You start reading it with the lost. You start reading it with your brothers and sisters in Christ. You start reading it and you just say, and, and you facilitate questions where you know the answer and where it's going to go. And you lead people to a place where they actually have a contextual understanding of who Jesus is and, who, and why he wants to save you, why he wants to redeem you. So to conclude, there are a couple different strategies of the Creation of Christ series. One of my favorite ones, honestly, is one-on-one. One-on-one. Where, where you are meeting with that one person and saying, listen, I'd love to sit down with you and, 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 and study the Bible with you if you'd be interested. And you know what I'm looking for? 
this goes back to Monday, the five keys of Bible study. That's four, that's five. Five keys of Bible study. I'm looking for the fourth one, a readiness of mind. I'm looking for someone who says, I'd do that. Yeah, I'd do that. You'd do that with me? Yeah, I'd do that. And guess what? It's not always gonna happen. But the more, the more you offer it, someone might say, you know, I'd really like that actually. I'd like to show you from creation, right? And you don't even have to use those words if you don't want. But I'd like to show you who God is. I'd like to show you what he desires to be in your life. And through context, you provide them the full story of the gospel. Small group Bible study, which we've discussed ad nauseum by now. <laughs> I hope you guys understand this is a, a beneficial way in small group Bible study. And then one of the ways which I, I hadn't seen until a couple years ago was that I believe, and as a, a new church planter myself, I believe that the Creation to Christ series is also beneficial on a Sunday morning uh, sermon series, which can be, number one, evangelistic, but also equipping for the new church that can then implement that in small groups. And so I believe, and I'm convinced of it, I, I, I've told my brother this, whether he's going to listen to me or not, I don't know. He's my older brother, so he's probably like, eh, whatever. Uh, but I'm convinced for church planters, and again, I'm biased, you want to teach this to your church when you first get planted. You want to, be, number one, it's good if you're, if you're in a new territory, let's just, as a church, let's talk about creation to the cross. Let's talk about it from creation to Christ, right? And so I, I'm convinced that it's a great Sunday morning sermon series. Um, from my own personal testimony, I, I now see it as a great resource. Uh, and so I have, I have two young men that I care about deeply, and, and they uh, will come up here. And so I'll have the, what, the white, white mic. Hunter, you want to come on up? This is Hunter Spiza. And so please welcome him. And uh, got like five minutes. And then uh, Blade is going to come up. And I want them to both give their testimony uh, in regards to creation of Christ, how God has used it in their lives. Uh, and uh, then if we have any time, so, so consider your younger brother. Uh, give him some time too. But then if we have some time, maybe we'll have some questions too. We'll see. Okay. I'll try to save you like two minutes, dude. Um, so I just stepped on the end, so hopefully whatever I say doesn't contradict everything Dan just told you. If, uh, if it does, I might be transitioning back over to Midtown. So if you guys see me over here, uh, that's why. Um, but yeah, you know, it was actually gave me a lot of peace with, uh, with Dan reviewing the end of this. So really, we've been running the Creation of Christ study on the Longview campus for the, past, um, for the past year and a half. But this past semester has been a new group of people. And so that's been really cool. Actually, the first group of people the first year are now at UCM. So my brother kind of took them. Uh, all the guys I trained up, he pretty much stole them away. But so I don't know if that's a pattern for the future. But um, Gabby Spiza and Katie Line are now with me at Longview. And by the way, if you are there on Wednesday morning, or if you can be there on Wednesday mornings, it would be awesome to have another guy. I'm just going to put that plug in there. Um, but really, just from testimony from people that have been coming, uh, primarily it's been people that are churched. I'm not super familiar with the Kansas City area, but at least in Lee Summit, everybody you've talked to, whether they're an atheist or an agnostic, they've, they've either grown up in the church or they've at least heard the stories or they are a Christian. And so really what Dan was getting at, um, I just want to share two statements that people, that people have made that I think are worth mentioning. Can you guys hear me? Hear me okay? okay. Um, a couple of the guys have said, and I do believe they're believers, um, but 
if you're familiar again with that, with the church culture, um, we, even for me, like we know the walk of, we know the Christian culture and what it, it just the complacency that comes with it. And so they both said, just, I've never seen Christ in this passage. As we're going to passages like Genesis 1, we're talking about these basic passages. They know, they know the story. They know the gospel. They've heard it. And actually they have some pretty good insight and information with, within those individual passages. And so as we've gotten into them, they'll actually point out things that they're just, you know, you can tell they're kind of just regurgitating what they were taught before. But what they've acknowledged to me at least is, hey, I've never actually seen Christ in this passage. Like there's some cool stuff, there's some cool things that I know this is coming from them, cool things I've seen in the passage, but I've never actually seen Christ in this passage. And so the study has just helped us take a step back and from what they've acknowledged, see the Bible and see these stories in light of why we need the cross. And we know that the cross is not the end goal. Christ's eternal reign is the, the, the end, uh, the end goal. But for them to understand why they're a Christian, that holds huge, implica- holds huge implications if they don't understand that the Bible, if they only see these stories um, just for the individual stories and not why, why God is giving them that information, the Bible is now just a storybook to them and not the word of God. And so these guys, it's only been a semester with them, um, but so pray for us. I'm excited to uh, see them coming. They're, they've been very consistent. One of those guys has actually been coming to, I mean, this, I think this speaks to the study um, he has been coming to the church and actually Dan invested in, Dan was his teacher, uh, but he didn't have a local church and he's been coming consistently for the past, I'd say month and a half or so. Um, man, so that's exciting. Another guy, um, he was an atheist. He was coming last semester and he said, or he's not coming anymore. He came to probably the first five or six and he got really quiet towards the last couple. You guys probably know if, uh, if you have anybody that's really questioning this goes right back to what, what Brian was saying. The thing I realized with him, or the thing, the thing that we asked him was, hey, like, what, you know, what do you think? I really have, you haven't really been putting much, giving us much input. And he just said, yeah, these are just, I've never heard these things. He knew the stories. So whenever we'd talk about the stories, he knew the stories. But then when we started talking about, hey, this is where we see Christ. This is our, our sin nature. This is why we needed the gospel. Um, the thing that he said is, these are just, yeah, these are new things. And after he made that comment, we never saw him again. And so just like Brian was talking about, I'm not gonna say, if you implement, if you implement the creation of Christ study, you're gonna see a 22% increase in your salvations. It's not, and I was, you know, it gives me peace because really we, we haven't seen, I haven't seen the direct salvation come from this, come from the study alone. Now conversations have come from it, praise the Lord, but the study alone, um, I haven't seen that. And man, that's okay but this guy was brought to the crossroads. And so that's all we're trying to do. We're just trying to give people, it gives people a good, a full picture of why Christ was necessary, so. And, and what I'd say uh, to that uh, is that, you know, is that uh, it allows people to truly make a choice, like a real informed decision. And so, uh, Blade, this is Blade's Pizza, by the way. How you guys doing? Now, hey, so like Hunter said, we've actually been in methods of evangelism, which has been amazing. So you guys need to go back and look at that material, really be considering that. It's been such a blessing to me. Um, but we have no clue what you guys have really talked about in here. And so if we sound like a broken record, please, I apologize for that. Uh, I want to preface what I'm going to share, though, with this thought. And it's a perfect evangelistic Bible study strategy. Bible study strategy is only as effective as the amount of lost people that show up to our Bible studies. 
right? And so if we don't invite people to our strategically evangelistic Bible studies, then nobody can come to Christ through C to C, through creation of Christ. If we're not bold enough to take the responsibility to just ask people about Christ, okay? So let's just start there. We have to have those conversations. We have to, we have to be evangelizing. Um, my personal testimony of creation of Christ, uh, I joined Midtown in 2013 and pretty much all through for the last six years, I've been in a creation to Christ Bible study. And so I started, I, I showed up to Dan Renault's Bible study, um, having never opened a Bible in my life. I didn't even know how to like reference, you know, John, you know, book, chapter, and then verse. I didn't know what that meant until somebody showed me. I think it was James McKelvey, you know? And so I, I show up, we're in Genesis chapter one, and for the first time in my life, I was able to see Christ. I grew up Catholic, and I had heard all the stories, but I was able to see that Jesus was not a backup plan, but he was actually from the beginning of time. You know, God said, let there be light. Oh, John chapter one, and he was the light of the world. You know, and for the first time, the Bible became a living book to me. And so I just share that as my own testimony. Um, and then I wanna share three points. So if you guys don't feel like you need to write these down, but creation of Christ is for three people. Um, it's for the lost, okay? So it's for the lost. Um, somebody that has never opened the Bible in their life, they can see Christ. And as ministers, we can use it um, to show Jesus to them. And that's the important thing. We want to use this study to show people Jesus and that he was from the beginning. He wasn't a backup plan. This was God's eternal plan to redeem man to himself. But it's also for new Christians, okay? So I think uh, a difficulty in Bible study is training uh, people. You know, the, the best thing that we can do to evangelize is disciple. And I believe that uh, creation of Christ allows us to disciple Bible study leaders really well. Um, it gives them the ability to, to see Christ in the Old Testament, it gives them context, and it hitches the Old Testament and the New Testament together. Okay, so it, it forces them to start comparing Scripture with Scripture. How many people in here are, are in a Bible study, are considering doing this? Am I wasting your time? Are you guys in Bible studies? Raise, raise your hands. Who's considering starting this methodology? Just so I know who I'm talking to. Okay, so, so in this, be considering, how am I going to employ people to use this? How do I train somebody? How do I, I bring somebody to my side and give them the tools, give them the questions, give them the things necessary to show people Christ? That's what creation of Christ does. And then finally, it's for disciplers. And so what... Uh, th this Bible study has allowed me to do, um, as, as I've led, as I've facilitated, um, is be flexible with the group at hand, okay? So we want to be evangelistic in our Bible studies. We want to have a discovery Bible method. But what happens when nobody shows up? We still have a really good Bible study where we can go really deep and we can have this SOT type Bible study. And so it allows me to keep, you know, guys in my life, it allows them to keep me accountable to a daily walk with the Lord. Because I know in my abiding, I bear much fruit and I can do nothing without him. Amen. And so uh, I want to share one last example uh, in this. We have a, a, a girl uh, in our ministry. She's not in here right now. I wish I could have her stand up and honor her. Uh, but she joined our church a couple years ago. Her name is Grace Brown. And she, we, we all went through uh, Creation of Christ 
And as we came out of that Bible study, she says, I have a burden for uh, my campus and I wanna start a Bible study on campus. And what it did was allow her to take that framework and start an evangelistic Bible study on her campus. And she's owned that. And man, I honor her for that. Uh, she's, she's such a blessing to our ministry. And so if you're thinking about starting a Bible study, use this framework and then just reuse it. You know, I think we can, uh, we can kind of get caught up in like not relying on preparation. We talk about, we need to be prepared. We need to be prepared. And then when we are, we like forget all the, the things we prepared. Like use it, like relieve yourself uh, of, you know, the night before Bible study trying to cram and start just building a really deep study to be able to share with someone and then be flexible in that time to, to do it. So I hope this is a blessing, man. It's been such a blessing to me to be in this study. I'm so thankful for, for Dan and, and him opening up the Bible with me and a home of guys. It's just been a wonderful blessing to me. So, amen. Yeah, thank you. So. So you heard from different perspectives and, and what you hopefully saw was, was the, the multifaceted way of looking at this approach, that it, it is for the lost, it is for the new believer, but it's also for the seasoned person. And, and one of the things I really enjoy about the Creation of Christ series is that it's, it's kind of like a survey of the Bible. And the more you begin to understand the, the totality of God's word, the more you can just kind of dive back in uh, as a disciple and things like that. It's, it's 12 o'clock and so I need to close, but are there any questions about this? Um, before we close, any questions about, uh, yeah. Yeah, I, this is, I, I briefly said it for a moment, but um, the, the fourth part of the five keys of, of a healthy Bible study is you're looking for people of a readiness of mind. Uh, and that can be just you and your neighborhood. It could be you and another person uh, that can support you. Uh, but before I start anything, I want to be praying, God, would you give me that person of peace and so I'm praying for that individual. They could be lost or saved, but they could have a, a, a readiness of mind where they're saying, I'm willing to search this out. And so I'm praying for that. Otherwise, yes, I believe it's an intentional engagement. Uh, just in the people that you already spend time with, that you drive by, that you wave, that you, you know, whatever it is, you know, throughout those days that you spend time in your neighborhood, I would invite people in. Uh, and and the, the cool thing about Creation of Christ is that even though it is sequential, each study is also full in its own right. And so you can have a, it's not just like, we'll come back next week and we'll figure it out. Uh, every single time, that person is going to leave with a greater understanding of who God is and what his purposes for us are. And so I, I, the, that fourth point, a readiness of mind, looking for that person who, who is willing to say, yes, I'm interested, is critical in my opinion. Otherwise, you're just going to beat yourself up and uh, be frustrated and feel like you're failing. I'm, I'm, I'm praying, God, would you show me who that person is that, that desires to know you, know your book? Uh, I'm praying for that person. But then after that, I need to engage. It's like what Blade was saying. Uh, if we're not getting out there, 
We can have all the intentions in the world of being evangelistic and it's not going to go anywhere. Anyone else? Yeah. Well, I think going back to what Brandon was speaking of, of yesterday, if you're looking to be a facilitator, I'm not saying that every Creation of Christ study is going to be Discovery Bible Method, but if you are looking to facilitate a Creation of Christ study, I would really want to be privy to the passages. It doesn't mean that you have to have been discipled or, or gone through all those things uh, through the Creation of Christ series, but I would want to be privy to it. And again, and I, I don't want to just keep referencing back to, to yesterday, but um, you know, yes, with your leadership that you've been proven to handle this load and things like that. Otherwise, if you're still learning yourself, and I'm not speaking of you, I'm speaking plurally. Uh, if you're still like kind of gathering it, grab your discipler, tell them your interests, do this together. Um, so maybe that was a confusing answer, but, but I, I want to make sure that the person who's going to facilitate is proven, which could be you, obviously, um, and that, yes, that I have gone through this. Even though I'm going to go through it together with that other person or with those people, I got to be ready for the questions, which I am hoping to craft myself because I know the answers already. of these panels or each of these sections, uh, I know you probably got to just see the temperature of the people you're speaking Yes, to. you have to be very aware. Um, you know, we'll go to Leviticus 4 is one of the passages, which is all about the blood sacrifice. If you don't know what you're doing, you're going to have five to ten people going, <laughs> right? And you might, need to, you might need to know how to, how to summarize some things, and you might need to know how to facilitate some questions that are going to maybe... maybe pull you out of that passage or, or something like that. Um, I have spent two, three, four weeks on a passage and I've spent 30 minutes on a passage. And so what you said is your answer. You got to gauge it. You got to gauge that, that friend, that coworker, that family member, whoever that is, you got to, you got to be figuring out, you know, are they engaged? Is there a readiness of mind for this, uh, for their participation? Um, it's very flexible. That's the cool thing about this too. If, if all of a sudden you realize, well, we are hitting home run after home run. Hey, guys, let's do this again next week. Let's stay right here in, you know, Genesis chapter 3. Yeah, let's do that. Yeah, I think that'll be good, you know. But if you realize that, hey, we've exhausted it, let's move on. It's very flexible with that. Because really it's discipleship. It's the transfer of life, not the transfer of knowledge. Thank you. Um, so in starting with, you know, creation and God, um, in presenting the gospel and presenting this like presentation to people, I've had people say, you know, why would I want to serve a God that just created me for his own pleasure? It's kind of selfish. And so in the context of remaining in scripture and trying to make it logical and sound to these people or to lost people, how far in depth do you go with Satan's fall and, you know, our kind of replacement with that without, you know, just grasping at things and, or making it seem like we're just pulling out these things? To me, I think that's actually a critical, critical part of the conversation. It's just why I taught it today. It's not because, like, well, this is going to be cool. <laughs> you, know, you guys are going to love that part. I actually think that, I don't think, I know, it, it gives context. Uh, that it's not just, you know, and then God said, hmm, people, people time, right? You know, I, I think all of a sudden people go, wow, so God had a plan for his creation. He had a plan for the universe. And now here's the thing. Yes, it was for God to receive glory out of us. And yes, it was to, for us to, to praise and honor him. 
Um, and, and if that's not good enough for them, well, that's another conversation. But I'll tell you this, whether they like it or not, what you are also presenting is that they will be accountable to him. That they will be accountable to a God that, yes, demands your worship because he is your creator. I don't know how we can have so much uh, arrogance to think that the thing that created us should not have any expectations on the, thing that, on, on the way we live. Who do you think you are? You know what I'm saying? And so now I'm not going to get that, that confrontational or off the bat, but at the same time, I might want to ask that question. I'm getting all George Grace on you, right? Uh, no, but, but, but man, I'll tell you what, and for those of you who weren't at the All Church Retreat, he asked that very simple question. Why are all these things going bad in my life? And he goes, who do you think you are? And I thought, oh, oh, he's right. And so I, I do believe that not only like, who's this selfish God? It's like, oh, he's your creator that you're accountable to. And at someday, if you don't honor him with your life, you will be separated him, from him forever. And so you can accept it or not, but it's the reality. And then they can, they can keep thumb in their nose, which is their, their right, which is what Hunter's testimony is. Hey, we've, we've reached a lot of people that have said, I'm out. And you know what I say to that? Okay, okay but at least we're giving them a full understanding of what the gospel is. We probably got to shut it up though. It's, it's almost 1210. Maybe, maybe one or two. I got one back there. Thanks, Tan. Thanks, man. Hey, man. Um, so a lot of the people that, um, that I usually come in contact with on my own are pretty critical of scripture, yeah? And so um, one of the questions I get asked often is, how do you reconcile omnipotence and salvation? Um, so far, what I started with whenever we have those conversations is that foreknowledge does not necessitate, uh, necessitate causation. But how, if you could, how do you, like, um, how, do you, how do you expand on that? That's a pretty big question. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, just because, <laughs> that's, that might be a little longer of an answer, but... Yeah, you, you, you answered it. You already answered it. And, and we're talking about predestination, uh, determinism. Uh, but yeah, with foreknowledge, it does not mean that just if, because... Oh, sorry. If it's too long, we can discuss it later if you want. But, yeah, we could do that. Yeah. But yeah, you honestly answered your own question in the sense that, that just because God knows something doesn't mean that he doesn't give you the free will to accomplish it. Alan Shelby one time said this, and it was probably 10 to 15 years ago. Uh, he, he was preaching and he said, listen here, God's providence is so great that it actually envelops your free will. His sovereignty is so massive that even the, the millions and billions of people that have all lived, that his providence and sovereignty is so great that it even allows your free will. To that I say, I got no problem with God being a sovereign God. I, I'm not making him less, I'm making him more sovereign. The fact that it can exist and still have my free will, again, and I'm, I'm giving you bits and pieces, but, but uh, there, there's something to head that way. And here's the thing, the answer is always the scriptures, whether they want to submit to them or not. Uh, Romans 10 is very clear that the only way belief can take place in a person's life is with the word of God. The word of God has to be given and it has to be received. Yet, what did, what did it say about Israel? But not everyone believed. Not everyone believed. Your opportunity, my opportunity is to continue with my life, with my testimony, with, my, with the blamelessness of my actions and my words to show to my lost friends and coworkers, hey, you might want to reject that, but, but look at this. 
And it's not a pride thing. It's just consider my life. Consider my deeds. Consider the truth that's in the way I live. So last question, we gotta go. Or no question. And we gotta go. Okay. Guys, I love you. And I pray that you have a great lunch. We hope this message was a blessing to you. If you're interested in learning more about the Living Faith Fellowship, visit lffellowship.com. God bless. We hope this message was a blessing to you. If you're interested in learning more about the Living Faith Fellowship, visit lffellowship.com. God bless.